Today on The Topping Show, Bud Light finally fires marketing team involved with the Dill Mulvaney business blunder. Bud Light also offering a $15 rebate on $15 packs of beer. Tim Dillon leaving YouTube for Rumble. Oshkosh might sell their military division. Google Alphabet stock downgraded by two analysts. Starbucks adding three new blended frozen drinks to their menu. Biden administration is considering the U.S. ban on selling AI chips to China. The world's largest Bucky's opens and Pepsi debuts Pepsi-infused foods. All that and much more on The Topping Show. Thank you for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode's Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder released twice today. Gotta say, he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or business owner and need a little assistance, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, going on to the business part of the podcast, you have Oshkosh, considering that they might actually sell their military division, all because the Army is picking a rival. Now, Oshkosh was established all the way back in 1917 over in Wisconsin, which makes sense. It's also coincidentally in the name of a city in Wisconsin. Now, it was originally incorporated as Wisconsin Duplex Auto, which, yeah, that sounds a lot less inspiring. Oshkosh, standalone, it sounds a lot cooler. And their first vehicle were heavy-duty service vehicles, 4x4 drive, and they've been making trucks for the government for decades. I mean, they had some trucks that were specifically used by the aircraft, by aircraft transportation divisions in the U.S. military all the way back in 1955, so... Quite some time ago. Now, in 1976, they actually won their first contract with the U.S. Army for 74 of the M911 heavy-duty equipment transporter. Now, the particular bid that they lost currently with the U.S. Army is the bid to construct the next-generation tank for the U.S. military which would replace the Bradley fighting vehicle. Now, this estimated contract proposal for this new tank is a mere not four, not five, not seven, not ten billion. $45 billion, which is quite a pretty penny, but also makes sense considering how much technology they put into these things. And also, they're quite literally quite bulletproof, or as analysts or as the folks who particularly appreciate nuances and they really like the actual details and technicalities, it is called bullet resistance, since obviously you get a certain particular bullet, a certain composition, it'll penetrate darn near anything. So that's why you hear of bullet-resistant glass, not bulletproof glass. But I digress. Now, the Army announced that they narrowed down the decision. There was originally three contenders. Now it's down to General Dynamics as well as American Wright Mall. And the replacement is going to be called the XM-30. It's going to be a mechanized, uh, sorry, the X, XM-30 mechanized infantry vehicle. And it's going to have a hybrid electric engine uh, and possibly self-driving functions. Now. I couldn't help but laugh a little bit at the idea of having a hybrid electric engine with a tank. I don't know how practical this is going to be. I mean, if you just think about hybrids, EVs, I mean, usually when you have a tank and the military is going places, they're not always, but usually not the nicest places on the planet. You're not going to see a Tesla charger in the middle of the desert yet. Tesla's growing exponentially, but yeah, to think of they're going to, they want a hybrid electric engine. They're going to plug in a tank. And also, the biggest detriment to heavy vehicles, EVs are garbage, mechanically speaking, for heavy, heavy vehicles. 
since the more the weight, the more the battery power you're going to use, the less efficient it's going to be. That's why you look at ones that are much more efficient. They're very lightweight, smaller vehicles. You saw this with, you have the GMC Hummer, which is somewhat of an abomination in and of itself in terms of the Hummer is now an EV, SUV, costs $100 to charge depending on where you live. You even saw this with the F-150 Lightning when the EV truck came out. As soon as they started to tote anything, the, the range just crashed to nothing. Is a viral moment on the YouTube for quite some time as everyone is getting their hands on those trucks and actually try to use them as a truck and it doesn't turn out so well. So that's why I'm overall skeptical about how will it be incorporated into tanks when they weigh quite literally as much as a tank. Now Oshkosh, they're pretty diverse in their portfolio. They have obviously they have commercial grade stuff that anyone or people with lots of money in the private sector can purchase as well. But I don't know if it'd be a prudent business decision to actually sell off the your defense unit. Because again, this was a huge contract. Don't get me wrong, $45 billion is a lot of money. But the Department of Defense and the US military is always looking for new vehicles. And once you get those contracts, they're quite lucrative. And of course, they're quite stable for your company. They just keep coming back because you look at some of these legacy aircrafts. I mean, one of the most legendary aircrafts in history, people forget it was made by the Fairchild Company, but you have the A-10 Warthog, which is the more well-known public name of the awesome engineering marvel of having a giant machine gun and building an airplane around the machine gun, which is purely American in terms of the spirit of, let's make a gun and then we make an airplane around that gun. And the whole airplane is designed around that gun. Now, that plane has been used for decades. There are still ongoing support contracts that third parties are working with them. And of course, usually traditionally it's the first party, the company that makes the plane, it still maintains it. So you have those reoccurring contracts and Fairchild, you know, a lot of those divisions have, they've been sold and consolidated throughout the years, but I don't know, to sell a whole division, plus it's also a global economy, especially these days, wars spurring a lot of technological innovations, but Oshkosh can also sell to other entities globally as well. So there's a lot of demand on the allied forces these days, so that might be something to look into. So time shall tell, if they actually sell it, I would most likely consider it a business blunder. But I digress. Now, other interesting business news, you have Google Alphabet stock being downgraded twice this week, which traditionally speaking, Google basically prints money via their ad sales. That's they, your data is worth far, far more than you could possibly imagine. Now, this comes from two particular analysts. You have analyst Bernstein as well as UBS. They both downgraded, downgraded the stock. You had the UBS analyst Lloyd Walmsley. He downgraded the stock from a buy to neutral. So nice thing about stock analysts is they're usually pretty straightforward in terms of, yeah, it really means just don't buy it. Just don't sell it, but don't buy it neutral. Simple enough. Now, you also have the Bernstein analyst Mark Schulmuck he recreated the stock from outperform to market perform. So slightly different vernacular, but basically saying, you know, they're no longer achieving better than average out of the market. They're just average. Now, it should also be noted that overall, the stock for Google or Alphabet, they like to rebrand themselves. I'm sure there's many reasons for that, but it's still increased 34% year to date. So overall, the stock is still doing exceptional but there are a lot of underlying issues with the industry when it comes to ad sales. Ad sales is down year over year. YouTube, on average, it's about a 2% decrease every single year, which again, you need to turn that ship around because that is the 
That is how YouTube makes a, a living. It's how it makes a profit. Because businesses buy advertisements, they put them in front of videos, and it doesn't, you, to not reverse that trend is going to be detrimental. And you also have more competition these days. Now, the analysts did note that there's some good long-term visions when it comes to what Google's trying to do in terms of innovation. And they specifically noted the Google Search Generative Experience. And of course, acronyms are awesome. So that's the SGE as, actually sounds like a, sounds like a rapper or a, uh, an album. The SGE up in here, this general region of the epidermis. I don't know, but um, they say that might be a potential win for their evolution of how advertising will continue to evolve. Now, that's their experimental AI platform that performs searches with AI. It's very similar to Microsoft Bing's with their integration with AI, where it actually uses AI to provide users with answers to specific queries. The problem, analysts say, and I quote, is that the generative AI responses occupy screen space that is currently used to serve ads on the normal Google search page. So they're going to have to make sure that's infinitely more profitable because in the current configuration, it would completely disrupt their current mechanism for making a living. So we'll see if they decide to switch things around the screen or what they're going to do to actually make that product more lucrative long-term. Other interesting businesses, you have Starbucks coming out with three new magical menu items. Now, they're coming out with a slushy-like take on their previous secret menu item. Now, I... Time goes by way too fast. I didn't realize it's been 10 years since they came up with the Starbucks refreshers, which are like Capri Suns for adults, I guess, some might say. It's a fruity little drink that you can get. And they're actually changing it so it's not like an icy or slushy. And three new flavors are going to be frozen mango dragon fruit lemonade, frozen pineapple passion fruit lemonade, and frozen strawberry aki lemonade, which... Of course, in terms of marketing, the one one drink, a single beverage will have four names for it. It's not just strawberry, it's strawberry frozen strawberry aki. I might be butchering that term as well. But probably for the summer, especially down south, that's going to sell pretty good considering I think Texas is supposed to be 104 degrees today. It's quite, quite hot. So in terms of Starbucks, I... They just continue to innovate. We'll see what kind of new products they come out with. But you got to keep up that innovation and die because the competition is moving quick and people are always looking for new ways to cram corn syrup products down their throat for some reason. I'm sure they... I'm I'm more old-fashioned. I just get this straight up... I think it's Pike's Place with a little ice. So it's just like room temperature. Just drink it really quick and I get back to during my day job. But I digress. Now, you also have on the other business front, you have the world's largest Bucky's opening. And they keep breaking these records because it sounds like every six months they're opening up a new store that's even bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, Bucky's was established way back in the day. Well, I was going to say, it's such a long time ago. You had the Lamborghini Countach. It was the 1980s, specifically 1982. It's founded by Archie Applin over in Texas, the best state, bar none. And the newest site is going to be over in Knoxville, Tennessee. That store is going to, the store alone is going to be about 74,000 square feet, which for a gas station convenience store is larger than people can possibly comprehend. It's a business experience in it. It's a life experience. Some might say to go and just check out Bucky's. But if you look at that 74,000 square feet, what's like the average 7-Eleven? So you just look up average 7-Eleven store square feet footage 
Yeah, so a 7-Eleven, their average store capacity in terms of square footage is about 3,500 square feet. So you have Bucky's at 74,000 square feet, and you have 7-Eleven at 3,500 square feet. So that's quite a big delta. And of course, inside, they have the more profitable items. Of course, they sell gasoline, like every gas station, but you only make a little bit per gallon. It's all about the aggregate McDonald's model. Sell a little bit of profit, sell a lot of volume. That's how you build their business. But inside is much more profitable things than the clean bathrooms, which on road trips are a pretty rare thing. There's like, it's not as, there's a reason there's like two Shell gas stations and every time I go on a, a road trip and the odds of getting stabbed there are never 0%. I'll just say that much. And there's always at least an eighth, maybe, maybe an eighth inch of dust on all like the beverages. It's, it's astonishing. There's, there's somehow still in business. I, in terms of a storefront, I know there it's a franchise model and the back end logistics, they make most of their money on the actual researching the harvesting and the processing of the actual fossil fuels. But, I've never seen them. There are a few stores more horrifically disgusting than a shell. That's why Bucky's is brilliant with their marketing. They have these billboards where they say like, they'll tell you the distance, like 120 miles to the next Bucky's. And they say like, you can hold it, which is a kind of a common saying on road trips with the family where, you know, if you need to go to the bathroom, just hold it. You can make it to a Bucky's. And they have probably the cleanest bathrooms I've ever seen. And they have good premium fuel. So that helps out as well. Now, this new gas station at Bucky's is not only is the store inside 74,000 square feet, they're going to have 120 gas pumps, which is phenomenal. Because there's nothing more annoying when you're on a road trip than having to actually wait for someone to gas up their vehicle. And you're wasting precious minutes. Sometimes you're trying to set speed records and time records. And even worse is when people actually park at the pump, they don't pump gas and they go inside. That they should be socially ostracized and they should be publicly shamed. I'm not saying yell at them. I'm just saying maybe give them a stink eye. Be like, what's wrong with you? You know that spots for people to pump gas. Don't even get me started on people that drive Teslas and they park it there. Ridiculous. Now, going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have Tim Dillon leaving YouTube and plans on going to over to Rumble and Twitter. And the reason why? It's not surprising. Censorship, which... YouTube could write a book on that since they've done it more than any other platform that I can think of in modern history. Now, Tim Dillon is a really big stand-up comedian, both well, physically, he's quite portly, but he's quite entertaining. He's one of the most, I'd say, probably top 20 of current stand-ups in the country, and he does a lot of very entertaining, I think it's a daily podcast where he talks about modern topics, makes a lot of jokes. He's big on the dark humor and the dry humor, which I appreciate. It's is a little bit different than what you see on the day-to-day laugh box, some might say. Now, Tim Dillon recently tweeted, quote, after YouTube has made people sign in to watch the show for the third time, I decided to start uploading to a com- the complete podcast to Twitter and Rumble as well. I don't think YouTube is the future of comedy, unquote. Which makes sense. If you have to sign in, it's one of those things where the burden that you put on the end user has to be as small as possible for pretty much every business these days. It's all about convenience. So if you have to go on your phone and you click on his video, if you need to sign in, that's taking extra seconds out of your day when most people are trying to look on how to save and monetize and well, not monetize, that's what he's trying to do. 
but they're actually, well, I guess, no, people are trying to monetize on their day, but you have all these people trying to maximize their time and then extra steps just kill the process. They're going to go on to another video. And that theory holds out. So since YouTube has started doing that to Tim, he's actually, his viewership has actually gone down by about half. Because again, people don't want to deal with that. And you're just increasing the burden on the user when it comes to that experience. So I'm not too surprised. He'll probably be a lot more successful on the other platforms. Similar to Joe Rogan, he'll probably post little highlights on YouTube. But again, they just know the future of comedy definitely is on YouTube as they censor it more and more and more in addition to their political censorship and all the other censorship they load up all together. Don't even get me started on the Second Amendment where you can't even show a rifle, a magazine being inserted to the rifle without the video getting demonetized and usually blacklisted as well as permanently deleted in some cases. So there is a reason you've seen a lot less gun content these days. And I don't see that trend turn around anytime soon. Other interesting cultural news, you have Bud Light finally firing the marketing team around the Dylan Mulvaney business blunder of the century. Again, their stock is down by about 27 or $28 billion since April 1st. Ironically, that April 1st campaign was not a joke. Fiscally, it perhaps is now a joke because they've lost so much money. Not only with stock, but their sales have gone down the drain so much. They're no longer the number one beer in America for the first time in 20 years. Which, again, it's a special kind of business blunder. If you can make that much of an, a mistake, and then the team around them just add fuel to the fire with how they handle the situation. Now, it took them, should be important to note, it took them about three months to actually fire these morons. And morons is a, it's actually an insult to morons in terms of what they did to the brand and to the company's fiscal stability. There are perhaps no words to convey that amount of ignorance, that amount of hubris. They just thought they couldn't do it wrong. They thought they were, I swear they didn't even sample, they didn't even do like a focus group on how would you react to this new campaign. Like, ridiculous. So you have the VP of marketing, Daniel Blake, as well as the other, I believe, VP of marketing, Alyssa Hydrashild. She is the Famously, the gal who drank beer out of a condom in college had that picture of her come out while at the same time saying that Bud Light needs to completely obliterate their association with college drinking and the frat, she literally said the frat boy experience, which is kind of their bread and butter. If you look at the percentage of their sales, that's when people get hooked on the beverage. I mean, some companies just need to learn to embrace their current customer base. Because again, even if I thought there, there was my theory that they might have done this thinking about the 20, a 20 year impact on the business in terms of growing demographics and trying to capture new market share, thereby ignoring other current customers. But if that theory was true, they would not have fired these people. So it kind of furthers my idea that yes, this was actually, it was, they admit now it's a business blunder. Of course, there's still no apology for advertising to children, but I don't think we're going to get one at this point from Anheuser Bush, the parent company behind it. Now, they even tell us this. This is all thanks to a text that has leaked to a reporter. Now, this is a, this was obtained by from the current regional head of marketing by uh, the Daily Callers and a prominent journalist by the name of Henry Rogers. The source also noted that, quote, to my understanding, if we publicly announce the word fire, it opens 
up the potential for them to sue us. That's why we said leave of absence, unquote. Now, coming from corporate America, I can certainly believe that. I used to work at one of the largest tech companies on the planet, and there are very interesting nuances. I had a friend where he was doing all the job roles as a manager, but they would, le they would not use the word manager until they officially promoted him and paid him for the job. He was doing the same exact responsibilities, but they wouldn't call him manager. And I asked, you know, why is this, why is this VP being so weird about, he, he went out of his way to not say that my friend was a manager. And it was because of legally, if he said it, then they had to promote him and pay them then and there, as opposed to using him doing that and that, all that for no additional cost for quite some time. So that, that, might be, that might be a possibility. It also says something about like corporate America where you can make the biggest business blunder in history and not be fired. We should, in terms of accountability, day, I don't know, day one or day two, as soon as you saw the sales plummet exponentially in the big corporate backlash, you should be able to fire an employee like that for this type of instance. The fact that they, they just, they're worried about it and they're worried about lawsuits and the fact that someone, a lawsuit might even successfully be executed because of this, ridiculous beyond all belief. And this is also why I may suspect they're never going to get fired. They're just going to be on a leave of absence. And then when they, when they finally do get a new job, which she will, in terms of a if a company is ideologically driven, they will hire her because she did exactly what the people who are ideologically driven want. They don't want profits. They want social change. It's a different business method, that methodology. Right now, it's not fiscally uh, responsible at all in terms of the current. Obviously, we're seeing the sales dive, nosedive worse than ever before. But another company will hire her. I, I can almost guarantee it because they're going to see that she... She will argue that she did social change and changed the social scope of the landscape or changed the Overton window. She shifted the cultural conversation and brought things to light. Other companies will eat that up day after day and they will hire her and they'll pay her exponentially for it. Now, it may feel bad for her boss, Daniel Blake, but at the same time, many also noted he was the one who hired her. So even if he didn't sign off on the campaign, and again, to have such a large, important brand, and again, brand is 99% beer, or the importance of the, many of them taste the same, unless you're a savant and they know some, they all, they, they taste pretty similar. The brand is of the utmost importance, which is why you should have, he should have reviewed this marketing campaign. A lot of people just drop the volume, they claim, they're claiming they didn't sign off on it, which again is pretty, Pretty bad lack of oversight. So he did hire her. So that's many speculating, you know, why did he get fired as well or put on this leave of absence indefinitely? That's most likely why. Now, a source also noted when it comes to the wholesalers, he said, quote, the wholesalers would have absolutely had a heyday with leadership if they didn't remove her, unquote. Which, of course, absolutely. Wholesalers and distributors, they are more irate than they ever have before. Remember, they have nothing to do with actual marketing of the product, they are distributing the product and making a living because of the sales of those products. If you do a marketing campaign that alienates a majority of your clients and the sales tank exponentially, there's less products for you to ship and you're getting paid most likely on a commission basis where you're getting paid per the amount of product being moved. If, and it just makes sense logically, if you have a truck that has to restock a local Walmart with Bud Light swill, 
let's say they have to have a big semi truck go there once a week to restock. And you're getting paid, you know, once a week for that drive and for that product movement. All of a sudden they have to do it once a month. You're getting a fourth of revenue. Again, just basic math. And that's just an, ex and an example of making up numbers here. But yeah, they are irate. And I'm surprised more of them are. It'll be interesting to see how many of those wholesalers and wholesalers and distributors start to pivot and focus more on other brands, which are more profitable. As you've seen, Wilson Coors and all the competition increase their sales volume at about the same percentages of Bud Light decreasing their sales volume. And to further go to the theory that these people, Alyssa and Daniel, are no longer going to be there, they also have internal leaks that all the direct reports to those folks are now directly directing to other people, which is kind of the nail in the coffin for corporate America. As soon as you have the org chart change or the organizational chart, some might say, as soon as you change that hierarchy of who's referring to who, that's usually the big sign of, okay, these people are definitely gone. They're out of the equation. Now, other interesting culture news, you have more business blunders from Bud Light, which that could almost be a channel or a, an award in and of itself. Now, their most recent business blunder, they're going to have $15 mail-in rebates for the July 4th weekend special, which I'm shocked that they're going to celebrate this year, but they apparently, are, they're going to keep trying to become, they're trying to put on the face with a cop. I have a disdain for a quick ADHD thing or, well, it has to do with this topic. A lot of people are upset when companies pretend that they believe in LGBT thing, LGBTQ initiatives and for the July initiatives. To me, it's the same thing in terms of if the company is not authentic about their beliefs, so they just pretend to have a pride thing for one month, they don't actually follow through throughout the year on initiatives. I see that as them just using it as a marketing facade to push their brand. It's not something that actually the business stands for. I think you see this a lot with many different topics. Same thing for 4th of July. Because of Bud Light's recent marketing campaigns and where they're currently funding other marketing initiatives and because of how people on the on the right and some middle feel like they've been betrayed and stabbed in the back no one is going to believe that they authentically are patriotic and believing in the 4th of July and the country music it's those many of those philosophies are many people will argue they're contrasting with each other so when people see them trying to celebrate the 4th of July, they're going to see it as less authentic, in my opinion, as other years. As, again, it shouldn't be this way, but many people nowadays in 2023, they almost see 4th of July as a, as a political thing. It, it should be celebrating all the United States because we are one country with 50 states, although Texas is the best, in my opinion. But... It's one of those things where it is becoming more of a political thing as well, where some people are not celebrating because they're not proud of the United States or and they're ashamed. But that's becoming political for some people. And I don't think there's going to be a lot of authenticity about... That's the hardest thing to gain as a brand is being authentic. Once you lose it, just like trust in a relationship, it is an uphill battle to get. And you can't get it by throwing money at the problem. Or it's not a short-term solution. Just like relationships, it takes years to build trust. It takes even more years to rebuild it once it's been broken. So I think this 4th of July campaign is going to fall flat on its face. Now, they have a campaign. So they're going to have a $15 million rebate for a 15-pack of beer, which at most locations in the United States sells for about $15, which means it's essentially free. Now, 
those who are advocating the boycott, I would recommend not taking that up because, again, it helps them. Because even if they break even fiscally, it makes them look good because they're going to increase their sales numbers, which helps Wall Street out. Because even if they're not getting a profit, they can say, hey, we have revenue. Unit, units are moving. The, the whole trend is turning around. We swear it's not. The number's getting worse. But that's the way they're going to do it. Now, they're actually trying to pay people. To, it also costs them. If the beer expires on the store shelves, which, again, in terms of retail, is the worst possible thing ever. Retail is all about moving units quickly. If it expires on the shelves, that's another telltale sign that they're doing terribly. And they tried this same methodology over Memorial Day weekend. And guess what? It didn't work. There's another decrease in their sales numbers. So I don't think it's going to work. But, I mean, time shall tell. They're, they're, some people are saying it might go up, but no. And also... This is going to apply from June 15th. Oh, so it's a little late to the news. <laughs> I was going to say, business blunder. They're not advertising very well because this is only hitting the news about the past couple of hours. Now, it's going to go from June 15th to July 8th, and it's going to be offered via a prepaid digital card, which, again, rebates don't work. It's one of those things where the very similar to gift cards, the number of people who actually go through the whole process are very few, so it's usually very lucrative for the company. So I don't see this working, and they will continue to be a business blunder of the year. My three cents. It used to be two cents, but that 40-year high inflation just had to increase it. Now, going on to the political part of the podcast, you have the Biden administration considering a U.S. ban on AI chips to China. Now, in terms of the political movement on the chessboard, this is probably one of the most bright, it is a good political move on the chessboard by the Biden administration. Because pretty much everyone, I think, left, right, and center should be concerned about the technology of AI and enabling your competition. And China, for many people, is a friend me. They are one of the largest consumers of many of our goods. And of course, thanks to a myriad of reasons, including US laws, regulations, taxes, they also manufacture a great number of goods for the U.S. economy. But AI is the biggest threat and opportunity that we're going to see in our lifetime, I believe. Now, this possible ban, and right now they're just considering it, it's caused both NVIDIA and AMD shares to drop about 3% a pop. So that's not good. They're two of the largest chip manufacturers on the planet. They both, of course, have record high stocks this year, so it's not going to hurt them fiscally too much. But both companies also launched specific AI uh, chips for AI. And you saw these companies do the very similar thing when it came to the blockchain, Bitcoin mining, and all that kind of stuff. People were kind of retrofitting the old graphics cards to make it work for those applications. But then they came out with one specifically designed for it. And of course, if it's specifically designed for the application, it's going to be a lot more efficient. Very similar to why Apple, their CPU chips made by themselves, I believe it's the M2 they're up to right now. And they have some fancy bombastic word for the actual title. Not good enough marketing for me to remember. Maybe it's the M2 Max? But they make their own chips, and their argument was that it's going to be better and more efficient for their computers and their software because Apple makes their own OS, operating system software. So it'll be interesting to see. This is also one of the largest markets. Well, the Biden administration will actually make a law prohibiting the sale of the new AI chips to that whole country. That's going to be a big ding on the sales for these companies, but... Again, this is also the most bleeding edge technology on the planet. 
do you really want that into someone else's hands that you can't control and they already have the upper hand in many ways? So probably a good political move. We'll see if they execute on it because I think it would gain political points both on the left and the right for this specific issue. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, you have Pepsi-infused foods for reasons. Now, this is a 4th of July special. It's going to be at four major league baseball ballparks, part of a quote or hashtag better with Pepsi campaign. Now, they teamed up with the Culinary Institute of America for this project and project. That's a, I don't know, I don't know if this is a project it's as much as a funny publicity stunt, but they're going to have Pepsi infused pepperoni as well as Pepsi infused ketchup because you don't have enough sugar in your diet yet. You need more corn syrup injected into you, which again, reading the nutrition facts of damn near everything these days, they put that crap in everything, partially because of the government, because of partially because of corn subsidies for farmers. So they got to put that somewhere. Why not put it in food? That's the worst that could happen. But I digress. Now, this will be taking place at four specific MLB locations. It's going to be taking place at the Detroit Tigers, Minnesota Twins, Arizona Diamondbacks, and the New York Yankees. Four. But it's a business blunder because it's obviously not going to taste great. It's a weird novelty. They're not rolling it out nationwide in terms of all the MLB teams or even putting it at physical stores. But so they're advertising a product that they'll never legitimately make something that most likely isn't going to taste good. I don't see this how I don't see how this is a good plus for their better with Pepsi campaign. Sometimes you don't sometimes there's a beauty in simplicity in terms of better with Pepsi campaign. Again, I'm not a marketing genius. Hire someone with a nice camera and just take videos of people drinking a Pepsi at the most important parts of their life. Having kids, high school graduation, getting married, having more kids. I messed up the order there, but you get the idea. Important parts of people's life, have a picture of them with a Pepsi, maybe have vintage Pepsi bottles and vintage old reels of a home movie camera to show you how Pepsi's been with you, the highlights of your life. Something like that is very, it's pretty damn simple, so to say, but it'd be a lot more effective than to get your message across as opposed to, let's just put Pepsi in all this crappy food and then I'll make you smile. Like, it, it, it is just ridiculous. That, that's got to be the business blunder of the day. On top of, you know, Bud Light. They're the, they're the business blunder of the century. Bar none. But nevertheless, the business blunder of the day, of the day has to be Pepsi infusing pepperoni and ketchup with Pepsi flavors. Thank you, everyone, for taking the time to tune in today. Really appreciate it if you take the time to like, subscribe, and comment. All the feedback is greatly appreciated. Also, don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers. Heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone to stay safe and fight the good fight.